Good morning. Uh, I have missed you guys, and I haven't even met you yet. But, you know, for years I have said that the church is not a building. Uh, the church is the body of people. And that has become incredibly vivid to me these last 10 weeks. This building is nothing without you. You know, you're the church. You make things happen. And I am so delighted that we can be together this morning. Uh, this lovely young lady in the front row is my wife, Brenda. Brenda, stand up and turn around so they can see who you are. She puts up with me, and that's, that's wonderful, and uh, I appreciate it very much. Uh, this is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, if you re recall, the, the church was gathering in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came, and they were empowered to go out and literally change the world. And I was thinking, in light of the craziness that's happened the last few days in our country, we need that again from the church. Uh, However the rest of the world behaves, the church must behave as Christ and love as Christ loved across all barriers. So my prayer this morning is that God begins to break those barriers down in our lives. If I told you a year ago that uh, unemployment would be 40 million people when unemployment was about 4%, or if I told you that every restaurant would be closed, including McDonald's and Starbucks. I mean, that's pretty serious, you know, when, when those kind of things happen. Or if I told you the big hot seller in the grocery store would be toilet paper and sanitary wipes, you know, that, you know that's what everybody's fighting over. It's kind of crazy. Or if I told you that you, you couldn't visit your loved ones in the hospital when they're having surgery. Or if I told you that you couldn't go to the nursing home or the assisted livings to see people that you know and love. Or if I told you that the church would not meet in the church facilities for months, you would have said, you are crazy. That would never happen. Well, guess what? It did. And that's the nature of a crisis. We don't see them coming. We don't expect them. And they kind of throw us off. And, and they uh, cause us to wonder what's going on. You go to the doctor and you've got this cough. It's, you know, it's just bugged you. It's gone on for a little while. And you go to see the doctor and he comes out and he goes, I need to tell you, you have stage four lung cancer. What? It's just a cough. A friend of mine, Jim, that was his prognosis just a few years ago. I was with him a couple of months before he died. And I remember him saying to me, Steve, can you believe it? I'm a minister. I've never smoked in my life. and I have stage four lung cancer. Crisis always catches us off guard. Jim and Karen were like salt-of-the-earth people in, in my church in Clearwater. and uh, Not the kind of people that call attention to themselves. They said about this section, and uh, they were there every Sunday, always there, always doing, uh, just being good people, you know. And uh, they had two kids, Randy and Katie, and uh, Katie was about 12 years old when we left the church there and went to Lexington. And uh, she went on to go to Anderson University and uh, got her doctorate in biblical studies and teaches in Ireland at a seminary. And uh, Jim and Karen were coming back from vacation in 
Tennessee. And when they got to Macon, Georgia on I-75, you guys know what it's like when the road gets blocked up there and there's construction going on. And so they're stopped, long line of traffic, and evidently a trailer truck didn't see what was happening and he plowed into them full speed, uh, pushed them into the next car and then into a concrete wall. And amazingly, Karen was okay, just a few bruises, but Jim, broken neck, collapsed lungs. We heard about it and uh, we hadn't seen them in, in three or four years and Brenda saw it on Facebook and, and she contacted Karen and Karen said, you know, I'm overwhelmed. I, I can't really talk right now. I'm gonna send you a note about what's going on because all the family's calling me and I, it's just crazy. And so we got the note and it said, let me explain what the doctors tell us to expect. Jim will be able to breathe on his own, raise his arms a little, and may someday be able to operate, operate a motorized wheelchair. He can shrug his shoulders now, which is good because he's not much of a conversationalist. He's not expected to regain use of his legs or his arms. He's going to have a very long rehabilitation process. He'll remain in ICU for several weeks here. And then she writes, this is unchartered territory for us. Crisis is always unchartered territory. We must research and find out the right facility for him. There will be huge ongoing bills, and we must find out what happened and how to be compensated fairly. There were three police reports. We have to find out which enforcement agency wrote the reports and how to get them. I'm trusting that the hospital insurance company will help me through that. The kids are stressed. Uh, they don't really know what to do. Katie came back from Ireland. She's in quarantine now for 14 days. They can't see their dad, and we don't know how long that's going to be. You could feel the desperation in her voice, in her note. And Jim, uh, to let you know the kind of person that he is, he's a sweet guy. Uh, his big concern when she finally got in to see him was not the horrible things that had happened to him. He was concerned that he had been rude to one of the nurses, and he said, would you please apologize for me? When things like that happen, life changes in a moment. We're sitting in traffic, and suddenly we're paralyzed. We're going through our life, and things are going well, and all of a sudden, there's a virus that invades the whole world and changes everybody's life. What do you do when life is kind of coming apart on all fronts and you're not quite sure what God's up to and you're not quite sure God's listening to you and you're not quite sure what you should do? This series is about praying for a breakthrough and all of us need breakthroughs in our lives. We need God to move us forward and to change us and to, to redirect us. In the book of Colossians, Paul makes this request of his friends. This is in the message, Colossians 4. Pray diligently. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Don't forget to pray for us that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ, even while I'm locked up in jail. That's an interesting prayer, isn't it? Pray that God will open some doors so I can tell about Jesus while I'm locked up in jail. This morning, we're looking at how we pray in a crisis. 
Maybe you're going through something today that uh, you need God to open a door for you. You're locked up in jail. You're, you're in captivity. You pray and nothing seems to happen. And you wonder, how long can I do this? And how long can I handle this? There's some steps that are modeled in Scripture that will help us. And the first one's this. Let God speak to me before I speak to him. That order is very important. Let God speak to me before I speak to him. And the reason it's important is there's a principle behind that step. God is always the first mover toward us. God's the initiator. We're the responder. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. We serve God. Why? Because he first served us. He went to a cross long before we even knew we had this fatal illness called sin in our lives. I love how, what it says, while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, Christ died for us. God never asked us to do what he didn't do. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. He knows about crisis. He knows about pain and suffering. This is also in, true in prayer. God speaks first if we're listening. Well, how do we listen to God? We listen to God in his word. And he teaches us what to pray and how to pray and when to pray in his word. Let me share this amazing promise in John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That sounds pretty blank check, doesn't it? Just ask whatever you want and, and God will do it for you. But there's a couple of conditions there. If you remain in me, if you're praying, if you're connected, if my word is in your heart, the first thing we need to check in a crisis is, am I meeting those conditions? Am I connected with the Lord? Is there anything between the Lord and I that I need to deal with in my life? Is there anything in my life that you told me was wrong and I know it's wrong and yet I'm continuing to do it? That needs to change. When we fail to obey, we break that connection with God. The book says, put these words of mine in your heart. And then when the crisis comes, he will recall them for us so that we have God's promises to help us with all of life's problems. I want to help you just really quickly here. And it's nothing that you haven't heard many times if you've been in church. We need to spend some time with God every day. I'm not talking hours. You just need to spend some time in his word. You need to spend some time in conversation with God in prayer. It tells us that Daniel prayed three times a day. What would your life be like? How would it be different if three times a day you spent some time talking with God and listening to God? I would venture to say it would greatly change you. I would go as far as to say that it would change every area of your life when we spend time with God every day. In chapter 9 of Daniel, you remember uh, Daniel was 15 years old when he was sent to Babylon in slavery. 
And uh, he's gone through three different uh, administrative changes, new kings. That's amazing. It's like going from Republican to Democrat to Republican. You know, usually you don't last if, when, when the administrations change. But, but Daniel has stayed in good favor. But now he's 85 years old. And he wants to go home. He wants to go back to Jerusalem. And he's talking to God about that. And he reads in Jeremiah that the Israelites were to be in captivity for 70 years. And Daniel reads his promise, and then he starts getting hope as he reads the rest of the promise. This is what it says in Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. When 70 year, the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, most of us know Jeremiah 29, 11 pretty well if you're in church. You know, God has plant, good plans for us, plans to prosper us, plans to give us a hope and a future. God says, I, I want your success, not your defeat. It's a good plan. I want to give you hope. And we know that verse, and we often quote that verse to people, but Verse 12 also has something to say. Listen to what it says. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. I want you to, to listen carefully. No matter what situation you're in, who you are or what you're facing, God has made it very clear. He has a purpose for our lives, and that's a good purpose, and it's a good plan that he has for us. But it's not an automatic plan. You can miss it. In fact, some people do miss it. In fact, maybe more than we know miss it. His perfect plan, his perfect will that he has for our lives. God promises to rescue us and bring us home. But, but there's two factors that are important when we fail to follow his plan that we've got to follow. And when those two factors take place... It's, it's critical. It's God's timing and our prayers. God's timing and our prayers. God's plan is a good plan, but it's on a timetable. He tells Daniel that they're going to be in Babylon for 70 years in captivity, not a day shorter than that. So I have a great plan for you, but it's going to take place after those 70 years. So when the timing is right, you can go back to Jerusalem, and I have a wonderful plan for the rest of your life. There's something I want you to do, but I need you to pray. And when you pray, I will listen. That's a good promise. Here we see God's sovereignty and our free will kind of going side by side. God's in control of the plan. He has a plan for each of us. But we also have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to pray. It's to ask. God determines the timing of his plan and his purpose for our lives. But when the timing is right, you're still going to have to pray. You're going to have to ask. God will not force his plan on you. Listen to what it says in James 4. You do not have what you need because you don't ask God for it. Think about it. God has some of these really cool things he wants to do in your life and plan he has for your life. 
But it's not happening because we're not asking. And we're not seeking. God says, I intend to do them. I want to do them. But you're not asking. And that raises a question for us that all of us have to answer as we're in the middle of a crisis. How do I know when I'm waiting on God, God's plan, God's timing? And how do I know when God's waiting on me to ask? How do I know the difference? I have this big dream. I really think it might be what God wants me to do, but it's not happening. Well, if I do a spiritual check and, and I'm listening to God, I've got nothing between me and the Lord. I've confessed my sins. God, I'm, I'm trying to follow you. And then I've asked God and it's still not happening. Then I can assume it's a timing thing. It's not God's plan yet. It's not his time yet. It hasn't matured yet in my being. So it's important that we allow God to understand that we have to operate under his timing. Let me show you how that works. When I was in Lexington, there were five men that I was praying for from the time I was there. I was 18 years as pastor. And these five guys, two of them came to Christ while I was there. But the other three, there was Ed. I saw Ed every Sunday. Great guy. He was always at the door. He was there every week. Wonderful personality. Good friend of mine. We, we enjoyed each other. But Ed didn't know Christ. He wasn't a Christian. And I prayed for Ed. I talked to Ed. It didn't happen. Bill was another guy. I spent time with Bill, and I shared the gospel with Bill, and, and he didn't accept Christ. Two years after I left, Bill came to Christ. I'm thinking, why couldn't he have done that when I was there? You know, why do you have to wait till I left? You know? And then there was Stan, and, and Stan is another great guy that just didn't follow Christ. And then 10 years after I left, Ed came to Christ and was baptized. And after that, Stan came to Christ and was baptized. It was a 25-year span. The plan was God's plan all along. He wanted these guys to come to Christ, but he had to get their heart aligned with his plan. And it took a little while to do that. It was a timing thing. So if I'm listening to God and I'm doing the right things, then I need to wait for his time. I need to persist in prayer. The second thing is I got to focus. I have a, a grandson named Kai, and Kai's 11, Brenda? He's 11 years old. Really smart. He'll tell you that. He says, I have a really big brain, Poppy. Okay. And, uh, and he does. I mean, he's just a really smart kid, but he's also about the most hyperactive kid you'll ever meet. He's bouncing off the wall all the time, you know. And so he drives his teachers crazy. You know, he doesn't complete assignments. I mean, he could do it in a minute, but he just doesn't do it. He's got other things that he wants to do. He's all over the place. There's an interesting statement in Daniel 9.3 that kind of deals with our attention deficit. It says, so I turned my face to the Lord and pleaded with him. Daniel turns his face to the Lord. I don't know what that means exactly. It, maybe he looked up. But, but he focuses on the Lord. And when we focus and we become focused, then God's able to use us. 
Now, husbands, I'm, I'm going to give you a little marital tip here. Brent and I have been married forever, wonderfully married. And I've learned something. It took, you know, sometimes it takes a while to learn something in marriage. And I've learned that when Brenda talks, if I look at her and turn my head towards her, she really likes that, you know? She likes for me to, to pay attention when she's talking. When you turn your face towards someone, you're saying, you have my attention. You're important to me. One of the greatest gifts we can give anyone in a relationship, any relationship, is our undivided attention. Okay, now, husband, here's a tip. Turn the phone off, turn the TV off, put the computer down, and look at your wife, and life will get a lot better in a hurry. When you pray, you don't have to close your eyes, especially if you're driving, and uh, listen to what the American Standard uh, version, how it translates Daniel 9. So I give my attention to the Lord to seek him in prayer. He's given us attention. But the key words are to seek him in prayer. How many of you have ever played hide and seek? Any hide and seekers here? You know? Okay, when you're the parent and you got these little kids, you don't want to hide so well they can't find you. You know? That's terrible. They start crying. <laughs> you know? So, so we try to let the kids know where we are. You know, we, we laugh or we cough or, you know, we do something obvious. You know, stick your foot outside to, behind the couch. You, you know, sometimes it takes them a while, but you want them to find you. That's the whole goal. God isn't hiding from you. He wants to be found. He wants you to seek him, but he has a special way that he wants you to seek him. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me how? With all your heart. It says in Hebrews 11, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God wants our undivided attention. He wants us to turn our face toward him and earnestly seek him. The mess you're in, the tangled up relationships, even many of the physical problems that we have, it's because we've acted without seeking him first. You ever done anything and then you said, I should have talked to God about that before I did it, you know? You did not seek his wisdom. You did not seek his help. You did not seek his permission. You just decided to do it and ask him to bless it later, you know? Should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? Should I be in this relationship? This is maybe I shouldn't be at all. Did you seek God or did you just do it on your own? And as a result of not seeking, you find yourself all of a sudden in a crisis. I got a problem. Our failure to ask God first, our failure to seek God first, causes so many problems in our lives. The Bible talks about praying without ceasing. What does that mean? It means we talk to God all the time about situations. This person makes me so angry. Should I say what I'm thinking? Or God, is there something else you'd like for me to do? You know. Social media. My goodness, talk to God before you write it. You know. James says once it's out there, it's out there. You can't pull it back. 
How many times have we, you know, we had snail mail, you know, you could at least, I've got some letters in my file. One of my therapies is when people really bother me, I'll write the letter, put a stamp on it and put it in the file. And I've got some stamps that are 21 cents. That tells you how long ago that was, you know, didn't mail the letter, you know. Allow God's Holy Spirit time to work on your heart before you just act. When we do not ask God, he backs off. He'll not force his will on you, at least not now. Someday every knee will bow and every, every tongue will confess. But in the meantime, he gives us some freedom. You know, he'll back off. We make big mistakes by not asking and suddenly we're in trouble. And we cry out to God. Well, the good news is God doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't say, I told you so, so I'm not going to answer. No. God says, if you're calling out to me, my grace and my wisdom is available to you. There's this passage of scripture in Hosea 5.15. The people have been basically ignoring God. And this is what it says in the good news version. I will go and return to my place on high till they acknowledge their fault and seek me. God says, I'm just going to hang out in heaven until you guys decide you want my help. And then listen to what it says in Hosea 6.1. Let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. God's desire is always to redeem you. His desire is always to heal us to restore us and to give us a purpose and a plan for our life. We cry out to God and say, I need you in my depression. I need you in my anxiety. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my finances. I need your help. We could avoid so much pain if we learn to seek him first. But even if you don't, if you call on him, he will answer you. So you... Listen first, you focus, you give God your attention. And then the, the third thing is emotional prayer, or sometimes called prayer of tears. When we talk about seeking God and we're praying, I'm not talking about just a rote prayer, you know, uh, now lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. I'm talking about, you know, tuning into God and, and, and sharing our hearts with God at, at a deep level. Sometimes our words don't match our emotions. Those of you who have children, I bet occasionally they fight. At least mine did about every 30 minutes, but, but they, they fought. And so what do you do when they, you know, somebody hits one of the kids over the head with a stick or something, you say, okay, I want you to apologize to your brother. You know, and I don't want to apologize to my brother. Well, if you don't apologize, we're going to take away the TV and we're going to take away the computer and the iPad and, you know, okay. So, I'm sorry. There's not much enthusiasm in that. Somehow the words don't match the emotions. And God wants our words to match our emotions. When uh, Bill Gaither wrote a little course uh, forever ago, he said, get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is King. Well, I had a worship leader that killed that chorus, not in a good way. I mean, he murdered it. It was, it was really bad. He would come out and have his head down. 
Get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is. I mean, you want to go to sleep. You weren't excited at all. God wants passionate seeking. The mystics called it prayer of tears. The Bible uses words like earnestly pleading. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. You, have, you may forget the last time you prayed like that. I can tell you when it was. It was when you're in the middle of crisis. You know, your wife's in the hospital and you're not sure she's going to make it. You're, you're pretty earnest, you know. Your kid's in trouble. They're away from Christ and, and you're, you're praying hard. You lost your job. And all of a sudden, God, I'm, I'm, I'm really serious. It's in a deep time of pain that we pray that emotional prayer. God wants us to come to him with earnestness. The Bible speaks a lot about crying out to God. That means that we put everything we have into our prayer. Someone has given the definition of sanctification that I love that says, when the things that break the heart of God break my heart also. What breaks your heart today? When you see a marriage come apart, does that break your heart? When your child's in trouble, does that break your heart? We don't do the sackcloth and ash thing very much. It was really big in the Middle East. But some of us still fast when we really wanted to let God know we're serious. God knows when I go without food, I'm really serious in my prayer, you know. Uh, man, he's fasting. He must really want this, you know. So uh, we're seriously seeking God. That's what it means. If you're in a crisis this morning, and even if you're not, you will be at some point. They have a way of sneaking into our lives. It's so important that we seek God earnestly. I want to share with you one of the most misused and misunderstood scriptures in the Bible. It's not a promise to the United States. It's not a promise to any country. It's not a promise to any, just anybody. It's a promise to God's people, and they're found in every nation. It's not a promise to everybody. It's a promise just to those who follow Christ. In this verse, God says, if you do four things, I'll do three amazing things for you. If my people who are called by my name, are you called by his name this morning? Are you a follower of Christ? Here's the four things that God asks from us. We'll humble themselves. We'll pray. We'll seek my face. Turn their attention towards me. And turn from their wicked ways. Be obedient to me. Then these are the three things that God will do for us. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. We tell God we didn't ask first because we were too proud. We're paying now for some bad decisions that we've made. But we're humbly coming to you now, Lord. And we're asking and we're turning our face toward him and we're seeking his forgiveness. And guess what? He comes to us and he blesses us and he restores us and he heals us. My friend Karen, in a hospital in Macon, Georgia, by herself. Kids can't come in. Family can't come. She's facing all these decisions by herself. 
And she's been earnestly seeking God. And guess what God did? He brought a minister's wife. She calls her her angel. She's there because her husband has a brain tumor and he's having surgery tomorrow. But those two women have found each other and are praying together. And Karen said, she has been an angel to me. Is that an accident? No. That's an answer to prayer. God cares enough about us that he'll find a way to get into a hospital even when COVID-19 is present. And God says, you will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sins and I will heal you. Period. Done. That's it. Let's pray. Lord, we know you and we know you love us. We know that you're not hiding. You want to be found. We're sorry that we have acted without asking. And now some things in our lives are a mess. We confess our sin and our brokenness. And we're seeking you now, Lord, with all of our hearts. And we humbly, prayerfully, with prayers of tears, ask you to speak to us and forgive us and heal us and give us a future a good future. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, let's stand. Let's just allow what the Holy Spirit's already spoken to us about through his word to settle and we can process as we do that, let's, let's worship him and receive his blessing.
your family, your children, their children, their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations. And your family, and your children, and their children, and their children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations. And your family. Your children, their children, their children, may His favor be upon you and a thousand generations. Your family, your children, their children, their children, may His presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you.
thank you for your blessing to all generations, your faithfulness to every generation. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your availability. You're so available, Lord. We talked about it earlier, even though we don't see you or feel you, you are there. And Lord, you're, you're in the middle of this crazy COVID with us. You're in the middle of this crazy time in our country. You're, you're there for every situation and circumstance we're in right now and every tribulation, every trial, every struggle, every challenge. You are in the middle of it with us. Oh, Lord, may we invite you into it. May we invite you to, to lead us through it. We pray for breakthrough. We pray for breakthrough for this country, this community, Indian River County, for our church, for our families, for our lives. Oh, Lord, breakthrough. We need a spiritual breakthrough. We're not just saying it, Lord. We're praying and we're crying out to you for that breakthrough in our lives. And it's going to be different for everybody. But whatever that breakthrough is, Lord, we, we cry out to you and we beg you for it this morning in Jesus' name. And we thank you for being accessible and available and willing and a God who hears our prayers and who responds to our prayers. We're trusting you this morning, Lord. As we leave, we trust you. And we're so grateful to be back together, Lord. Can't wait to get back together next Sunday. But in between, breakthrough, Lord. Breakthrough in our lives. May we be salt and light for others that we encounter. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.